Well, good morning. It is good to see all of you guys here again this weekend. And like Josh said earlier, if it's your first time with us, we're so honored to have you here with us. We are also grateful to have our World Changers group back with us that went on a mission trip last week. Our students went and did a lot of great work over in Louisiana. And I know you guys have been hot and sweaty here in San Antonio, but just go to Louisiana for a week and experience that humidity. It's pretty nasty. And our students did a lot of hard work over there and the leaders that went with them. So thank you guys very much. Uh, Middle school students, if you're still in here, you're welcome to go to uh, Vertical in room 20. We've got a class for you guys over there. Well, I hope this summer that you guys are able at some point to unplug a little bit. I know sometimes when you're in high school or middle school, you don't realize that when you're an adult, you don't get the summers off, right? I mean, you still have to work, but hopefully in your life, you're able uh, sometime this summer to go on a road trip or just unplug a little bit. Uh, You know, back in the day when you would go on a road trip, right, and you wanted to kind of capture that experience, it it was different, uh, certainly back in the Bible times. I mean, you, you had to write it down. Somebody had to account for it. And that's what we're going to see in the book of Acts, because that's what Luke, the author of Acts, was doing. He was writing down what he was experiencing. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, we have extra Bibles uh, out there, and you're welcome to take one of these as our gift to you. But back more in our time, maybe your parents' time or your grandparents' time, or maybe your time, uh, when you went on vacation, if you wanted to capture something and, and let everybody know how it was, you went and got this fancy little thing called a postcard, you know, that had a picture of where you were so you could write back to mom and and say, we're here at the beautiful San Antonio Riverwalk, going down a boat and experiencing beautiful San Antonio. And, uh, or maybe more of a modern version of uh, experiencing San Antonio might be like this next postcard, visit lovely 281 and 1604. A paradise on earth, right? No, but just back a generation ago or so, if you wanted to kind of capture that moment, you went down to the gift shop and you bought a postcard and, and you would share it with someone or just keep it for yourself as a memory of where you went. Well, in today's age, we don't really do that so much anymore, right? Because we just pull one of these out and we snap a picture and we put it up on Instagram, right? And hashtag family adventure 2018, you know, we went to SeaWorld, we, we went to Italy, we went wherever we went. You kind of captured that moment through a social media post. Well, as we pick back up in the book of Acts, today we're going to see three snapshots, three Instagrams, three postcards, if you will, that, that Luke, the author of Acts, is going to capture. Because as we pick back up in the book of Acts... We've got Paul, who's going off on another adventure. He's off on his second mission trip, just like our students just went on a mission trip. They're off on another adventure to go and share the gospel, to help people find and follow Jesus. So they're off on this adventure. This time, he takes a buddy with him named Silas. And for part of chapter 16 as well, he takes a young man, kind of a protege of his, named Timothy. They're going to go off on this adventure. Now, Luke is the guy there taking the pictures, right? He's the guy recording what's happening, and he's going to report back to us what happens throughout the book of Acts, but particularly today, we're going to look at Acts chapter 16. Now, what's interesting is this second missionary journey, 
in your Bible, it's going to cover approximately three chapters or so. But in the span of time, it covered almost three years. And so what we decide, whatever Luke decides to put within these chapters, I think we have to look at that and go, well, this must be pretty important. Because there was a big span of time here, and Luke chooses just a few things to particularly highlight that were meaningful on this expedition as they go on this mission trip. So chapter 16 is one of those. They're going to set off on this trip, and we're going to look at some of it. Paul is going to have an encounter with three different people, Paul, Silas, uh, and Luke, as he's accounting for this. However, he got all the information, whether he was right there with them or it came back to him. He's accounting for all of this in the book of Acts in chapter 16. So, This is a historical account, but I don't want you to look at it as just a merely a historical account. Because sometimes we can do that as we read things that happened in the Bible. We go, okay, okay, I see that this happened, and I see that that happened, and we just note it as something that happened in the past. But anytime we read, even through historical accounts in the Bible, we need to say, well, what do we see in the character of God in this story? Because the character of God is the same yesterday as it is today. So we can look at these accounts and also say not only what did God do in history, but through this, is there anything that God might be speaking to me that I need to put into my life, that I need to put application into my life? So as we jump into the book of Acts, we're going to see Paul and Silas and Timothy do what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. They're going to do what they know. They're going to show up and they're going to start sharing with people. And they're going to be ready for opportunities that God gives them. And as they look for those opportunities, God opens the doors. We also noted a couple of weeks ago that it won't be easy and you need to stay connected. And they continue to do that as well. So as they set out on this journey, they think, hey, let's go to Asia. I think if we head off to the right, off off to the east, we can go towards Asia. And they have this moment in their lives where the the Bible says the Holy Spirit prevented them from doing that, discouraged them from doing that. You have some of those opportunities in your life as well, some of those moments where you feel it may be something good, it may be something clearly, you know, not is not good, but you have that sense with inside of just, for whatever reason, I don't feel like I should do this. And that's what Paul and Silas and Timothy experience in this moment. They think, we're not supposed to go to Asia, so where are we supposed to go? That night as they sleep, Paul has a dream that there's somebody in Macedonia saying, hey, we want you to come over here. So they get up the next day and they take off towards Macedonia, which is quite a journey. I mean, you don't drive down to the airport, right, and catch the next plane. They're they're on foot, possibly on donkey every once in a while, possibly on ships, but they're making their way towards this village, uh, this area of Macedonia. Uh, the city in Macedonia, the particular city is called Philippi, where we get the book Philippians. But uh, they're going to head to this city called Philippi. And that's where we're going to get our first Instagram post. That's where we're going to get our first postcard from Luke. So let's meet Lydia right here. This is Lydia in our first Instagram post here. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 16, verse, starting in verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank. 
where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. One of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth, who worshipped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. She and her household were baptized, and she asked us to be her guest. If you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, she said, come stay at my home. She urged us until... We agreed. So we're going to take a look here at the first person that we meet uh, of these three encounters that they note in Acts chapter 16, and it's this woman named Lydia. And there's a few things that we can pick up from the text. First of all, she's from an area called Thyatira. Thyatira would have been a very affluent region. Right? So, I mean, if we're talking San Antonio, let's talk about the domain area, right? It's, it's a really nice part of that area. She's from Thyatira. We also see that she has a spiritual hunger. It says that she was a worshiper of God, but then you also have to note that as Paul explains the gospel, she accepts what he is saying, and then she becomes a believer. So that tells us something. She is a Gentile woman living in a Jewish setting. So she's familiar with the God of the Old Testament and she has great reverence and respect for God. But the light bulb has just never come on that Jesus is the Messiah. So as Paul begins to explain this to her, it's like all the pieces begin to connect. And she gives her life in that moment to Jesus. We also see that she sells purple cloth. And to you and me, that may be, we may be like, no thanks, you know, I'm not really into the purple shirts and definitely not purple pants. But this woman sells purple cloth, right? Well, in that particular day and age, purple cloth was in. It was the Louis Vuitton of handbags, right? It was the Prada of fancy outfits, the Chanel of perfume, the Chumagacha of after-church lunches, right? I mean... It was the good stuff. If you were going to spend some extravagant money, it was purple cloth. Because it was a symbol of affluence. It was a symbol of having a lot of means. And not only did she have purple cloth, but she was a distributor, possibly someone who manufactured purple cloth. So this woman was doing very well. If we're honest, and we're just looking at our setting. It's not much different than us here meeting near Chavano Park, right? I mean, we're all at different places within this room. But if we walk outside of this room as well, people out there are in different places. But a lot of people around here aren't necessarily wondering where their next meal is going to come from. We live in a community, even if you just pull it back and look at the United States as a whole. We live in a society where people have it pretty good. And that's where this lady, Lydia, was at. We're surrounded by people who may have some sort of history with an understanding of God. Maybe they grew up in church, maybe just because they live in the United States and they've been exposed to it. They have some sort of understanding of God, but they don't necessarily know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. That was Lydia. That was this woman. She, she had a good life. She had it together. Uh, she was a professional. But she didn't know Jesus as her Savior until this moment 
when Paul shows up and he chooses to invest in a conversation with Lydia and the people that were with her. He takes time to care and he takes time to listen. Says that he sat down and talked with her. He had some sort of rational discourse with her, explaining to her, because they had shown up to this place where people would be worshiping the God of the Old Testament. They show up and they say, well, let me explain Jesus to you. So they show up and they explain the fulfillment of Christ. What we can learn from Paul and Lydia and their encounter in this snapshot is that God will give you opportunities to share boldly with those around you. And the neat thing here is it wasn't on Paul to change her life. All Paul did was share what he knew. It says that God changed her heart. We need to look for opportunities to be bold, to simply share with others what God has done in our lives. Now, let let me define bold here a little bit because when I say bold, I don't mean brash. I don't mean, okay, they went down to the river. We're not necessarily supposed to go down to the river walk, stand up on, on, on the street corner and just start screaming at people. That would be brash. But bold is, hey, I've got an opportunity. I feel like I should tell my waitress, I'm going to be praying for you this week. Or I feel like I should tell my coworker, hey, I'd love for you to come to church. And it's bold because anytime we do something like that, there will be the enemy who wants to come in or maybe just even your flesh that says, oh, don't do it. Don't put yourself in an uncomfortable situation. So being bold is just willing to step outside of the comfort zone, to step to a place where you could say, God, if you could use me, I want to be available for you to use me. That's what Paul does in this situation with Lydia. This woman who seems to have it all together. God uses a conversation to transform her life. We all have people around us who have some sort of religious understanding. They may not be destitute. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I can overlook those opportunities. Right? It's easy for me to think, okay, mission You know, if I'm supposed to go out and do something, I'm supposed to go out and help somebody who is suffering tremendously. And that's true. But you know what else? I need to help my neighbor who doesn't seem to be suffering, who seems to have it together, but he still needs to know Jesus. That's what we see in snapshot number one. We see that the gospel is for the rich and the poor, for the broken and the healthy. And you and I, we're supposed to be the church as we leave this place. We're not just here so we can sing some songs, hear somebody talk, have a donut, and leave here. We're here so that when we leave here, we can be the church to whoever God may put within our path. Now, when it comes to Lydia, this religious woman finding Jesus, that's where I resonate with my life. Not the woman part, but the the religious experience. I grew up as a, as a kid and a teenager going to church practically every Sunday. My parents took me, and I loved the church. I loved what the church was about. I, I was never one who hated going, and I remember going to church and having a respect for it. But then I also remember when I heard the gospel explained during my, my teenage years that all of a sudden I began to realize for myself 
I can't just do this because my parents believe it, because do I really believe it? And as I search those things, I realize that, yes, I do believe in the transforming power of Jesus, but my faith had to become my own, and that was sparked by mentors in my life and people speaking into my life in, in situations like this where that light bulb began to come on through this conversation, whether that was one-to-many or one-on-one. And one of the major places, just side note here, that that happened for me was years of going to summer camp in my life. You guys have heard us talk about our summer camp that's coming up this, this summer at the end of July. It absolutely changed my life because that was a place where my faith moved from being mom and dad's faith that kind of took me in to being my faith where I understood the gospel and I gave my life to living for Jesus. So just quick side note here because this is, this is a really big deal for us and it's important. We have about eight or nine spots left for our middle school and high school summer camp. And typically the camp, it's not cheap. But this particular summer, we have the entire camp for our group paid for. So if you have a middle school or high school student that you would like to send to camp, we need to get them signed up, preferably within the next week so that we can know who all we have going to camp. It's a great opportunity. We probably won't have this opportunity again in the following summers, but this particular summer... It happens to be that this is covered, and we would love to take your student to camp with us if they finished 5th through 11th grade. It's going to be a great opportunity. July 29th through August 2nd, we're also looking for a couple of adults to take with us uh, to help out with that. But if you're interested, you can see me afterwards. You can sign up on our website. You can register them right there. So the first thing we see is... They look for opportunities to share boldly, which leads us to our second snapshot. Paul and Silas are going to meet the slave girl with an evil spirit. Verse 16, one day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters telling fortunes, as you could imagine. So in the first snapshot, we saw this woman who really had it all together, an affluent woman who had it all together in a lot of ways. In the second snapshot, this slave girl, we see the exact opposite. We don't even know her name. We just know that she is the slave girl. We see snapshot one, a woman who who had everything in order in a lot of ways to snapshot, snapshot two, a woman who was absolutely oppressed. She was being used by the people who owned her to make money for themselves, right? These guys were basically her pimps that were just using her for whatever they could so that they could put money in their pockets, and it was working really, really well. So physically and emotionally, she is oppressed. Spiritually, we see that she is possessed, She is controlled by an evil spirit that has a stronghold in her life. And some of you may go, oh, you know, that sounds kind of supernatural. Yeah, exactly. And I do believe, even though we live in the natural world, the supernatural world around us is a reality. The Bible tells us that the enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy our lives. It says this in Ephesians 6.12, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, 
but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. The spiritual world around us is a reality. And this woman was not only being oppressed physically and emotionally, but she is being possessed by the enemy. And watch what she does. This is kind of interesting. In verse 17, it says that she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. That doesn't sound too bad, right? I mean, here's this crazy girl, this possessed girl who's been oppressed and abused. She's following Paul and Silas and Luke around saying, listen to these guys, listen to these guys. They're going to tell you what you need to know. They're going to tell you about Jesus, right? So that doesn't seem so bad, right? Here's where the problem lies there. If you're with crazy, it discredits your message, right? If Roy here, he's sitting on the front row today because y'all didn't know this, but today's the big day we're announcing it. He's running for political office and he wanted to make sure you all got a good look at him. Let's say hypothetically, Roy, how many of you would vote for Roy? Oh, look, Roy, you're in, man. So let's just say hypothetically, Roy is running for office and he is going to make his campaign announcement. Uh, He's running for Congress, right? He's going to make it official. On the day he makes it official, a slew of hate groups show up, not to protest Roy, but to say, we wholeheartedly support Roy. There's the KKK. Vote for Roy. Vote for Roy. Vote for Roy. There's Westboro Baptist Church. Vote for Roy. Vote for Roy. You know, the worst gangs in all of the country are showing up. Everybody's united around Roy. Vote for Roy. You would go, uh, I don't know. If they all want you to be congressman, there's something about that that gives me a lot of concern. So when this possessed girl that everybody knew what was going on with her and how she had the ability to do what she was doing, when she's following Paul and Silas, not just for a little bit, but it said for days, following them and screaming, Listen to these guys. Listen to these guys. She is discrediting everything that they are trying to say. So Paul finally has enough and he snaps. Verse 18, this went on day after day. Paul got exasperated and he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And instantly it left. Her master's hopes of wealth were shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. So here we have this slave girl, lower class, lowest class, right? She's owned. She is a slave. She's, she is the lowest of the low in that culture. And apparently Paul casts out the demon, not so much in a way that she's just okay for a second, but she is completely delivered of this oppression because her master's hopes are now shattered. She can no longer do what she used to do. This young lady has now been set free from what has been destroying her life. So the first woman, she has it together and God transforms her life. The second woman, she's got it all wrong, yet God still meets her where she's at and rescues her from oppression and transforms her life. 
So the second thing that we need to, to look at as we look at these snapshots is that we need to look for opportunities to do justice. We look for opportunities to share boldly. We look for opportunities to do justice. And when I say justice, because that could be a political buzzword, here's what I mean. Look for opportunities to stand up for people who can't stand up for themselves and look for opportunities to set people free from the bondage that is holding them back. All of us are surrounded by people who are under heavy burdens. In the natural world, they're under heavy burdens. They're struggling with things in their mind, in their lives, in their finances, and also in the spiritual part of their lives. They are under heavy burdens. We need to look for opportunities to help people out of their spiritual oppression, out of their physical and emotional oppression. The reality is, if we're honest, we can take a look in the mirror right here in this room. And some of us would say, man, there are things in my life that I just can't get past. Right? There are things in in our lives here in this room that we know destroy us yet we just can't seem to break free from them. We need to look for opportunities from those that are close to us and those that we come in contact with to do what we can to help set them free. Fair warning here, though. As we see these two different snapshots, in the first one, speak boldly. In the second one, do justice. Fair warning, when you step in to do justice for others, it will often lead to rejection and it will often lead to pain. Because just like with this young lady's master, they didn't like what happened. When you step in to help somebody out of their bad situation, there's going to be resistance that comes along with that. Paul and Silas have to pay a great price. But I pray that you and I, we won't be people who only step in to do justice when it's easy and when it's comfortable. But you and I can look for opportunities to say, I'm going to step into this situation and I'm going to help you through this mess because I know it's painful and I know it hurts and I know you're going through a lot right now, but I'm going to step into this mess with you. Watch what happens as Paul and Silas step in, Acts 16, 22. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas and the city officials ordered them stripped down and beaten with wooden rods. It's a bummer, right? They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure that they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. All right, all of a sudden this goes from bad to worse to really, really bad. So they help set this girl free, and all of a sudden her masters are upset. So a mob forms. They're stripped in front of everybody. They're beaten in front of everybody. They're taken to the jail. They're not just put in the jail, but they're put into the inner jail. And the person that we're going to meet here in this third snapshot is the guy who's in charge of controlling the jail that they bring Paul and Silas to. Let's meet the jailer right here. Jailer is our third snapshot right there, the man in, in uniform. He likely would have been a Roman soldier that has either gone on to been have been assigned to the jail or he's res- retired from the military and now this would have been his post to guard the jail. He would have been a working class guy. 
a hard-working guy, probably a hard man because that's his job, right? He's not there to be nice. He's not there to make friends. He is there to control the situation. So here's this working guy, a hard man. And now he's taken in these two prisoners. Now, these aren't violent prisoners, right? They didn't murder anybody. They didn't kidnap anybody. They haven't hurt anybody. They're political prisoners. They did something that upset the political system. And now the mob brings them to the jailer and says, put them in the inner prison. So they show up. They're here with this jailer. And they go into the inner dungeon. Now, first of all, I realize jail is not a place where any of us want to be. But you certainly wouldn't have wanted to have been in one of these first century Roman jails. And if you did happen to end up there, you definitely wouldn't have wanted to have been in the inner prison. This inner prison, it would have been set up almost concentrically and dug into the side of a mountain. And the inner prison was the inner part, right? And this is where they would have housed the most violent criminals to make sure they didn't get out because they would have had to escape through several layers of the prison, right? So this is where they put Paul and Silas. And this was a bad place to be. I think Paul even uh, sent us a little review on that. He sent a Yelp review. I think if you could pull that up for us. There's the uh, Philippian slammer and you see a couple of pictures there. Um, If you could go on to the next picture for us, Owen. This, this is actually a modern picture of what still exists. And so you can see how it was dug into the side of a mountain. If you pull up the next one for us, Owen, this would have been the inner prison. So as you make your way down the hill and through the different sectors of the prison, this is the bottom. And that section of rock right in the middle, that would have been the stocks where their feet would have been clamped in there. You'll also see a hole right there to the left of the picture, that is a drain. Now, you can imagine a prison that goes downward and there's, there's no facilities in the prison, right? So everything that happens in the prison without getting too graphic drains down to the inner prison where they are then shackled there. If you'll pull up the third picture for us, just an illustration, but when they were shackled by their feet, it would have been something like this, There's also some speculation that said that their hands would have been shackled too. So they actually would have been laying down or their hands would have been shackled to the wall. So after being stripped and beaten, this is the situation that they are put into. Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't be in a very good mood in this situation, right? I would have had a little bit of like, where are you now, God? I show up to do this for you and this is what happens you know, I, I certainly would have been ready to dial four 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 four, you know, and get somebody down there to get me out real quick, right? But watch what Paul and Silas do. Verse 25, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly there was a massive earthquake. And the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Pretty good situation there, right? The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed that all the prisoners had escaped, so he withdrew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted, stop, 
Don't kill yourself. We're all here. Now, let me ask you, what kind of transformation? What did they see within Paul and Silas? These guys who were criminals in there with them, that an earthquake shows up, the doors open, somehow their chains all fall off, they have the opportunity to go free, but they have just experienced something, seen something so genuine and authentic in Paul and Silas that they don't even move. And when this jailer wakes up and he realizes the gravity of what's happened, he knows it will cost him his life, so he says, I'm just going to do it myself rather than be executed But before he can kill himself, he hears a voice in the background. Hey, dude, don't do it. We're all still here. How amazing would that have been? How in awe would you have been if you were the jailer who fell asleep listening to these guys who you just beat in their worshiping God, and when you wake up, they're all still there. The third thing that we need to do, the third opportunity that we need to look for, we need to look for opportunities to live selflessly. And when I say selflessly, it's pretty self-explanatory, less self. We need to look for opportunities to put others first, to do what love requires of us. You see, the truth is Paul and Silas didn't even have to be there. At the end of the chapter, they're going to say, oh, by the way, we're Roman citizens, which would have been their get-out-of-jail-free card. But they didn't even say that because they knew they had an opportunity which cost them a beating, which cost them being put in prison not knowing what was going to happen. But look at how it transformed these prisoners' lives. And then it goes on to change the jailer's life as well. Watch what happens in verse 29. The jailer called for the lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him, and with all who lived in his household. We need to look for opportunities to live selflessly. In other words, your actions are going to speak louder than your words. And watch how it transforms this man as we wrap up here. Verse 33. Even at that hour, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. This hard man cares for them, washes their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household was immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Snapshot number one, an affluent woman who seems to have it all together. Snapshot number two, a lower class abused and used woman who seems to have everything wrong. Snapshot number three, a middle class hardened man who imprisons people for a living. God sets every one of them free. God brings the good news to every one of them. Snapshot number one, A bold opportunity to share the gospel with somebody changed her life. Snapshot number two, an opportunity to do justice and set someone free from what was holding them back. Snapshot number three, an opportunity to live selflessly even when it's hard leads this hardened man to the Lord. The love of God 
is waiting to reach every heart outside of this room and in this room. I don't know which one of those people you may more identify with, which one of those people may be surrounding you in your life, but I believe that God is giving us the opportunity to be the church by looking for opportunities to be bold, to do justice, and to live selflessly. I want to end real quick by doing this, and I hope this doesn't make you too uncomfortable. If you want to participate, do. If you don't, feel free. No judgment there. But if you in your life, if part of the reason why you're here today is because like snapshot number one, somebody shared the gospel with you through rational discourse, explained what it meant to you, and that helped change your life. Would you raise your hand real quick? All right. See people all around the room. Feel free to look around. If part of the reason that you're here today is because somebody did justice in your life by caring for you when maybe nobody else cared for you, maybe by helping to set you free from habits that you couldn't get over, from hurts that you couldn't get over, to help set you free from the things that oppressed you. If somebody helped to do that in your life because they just didn't give up on you, right? If that's you, would you raise your hand? All right, look at that. And maybe if you're here today, just because of the selfless love of somebody else who took time to to invest in you, and give to you, and pour into your life, and showed you. They were the example of Christ. They, they were Christ with skin on in many ways in your life. Would you raise your hand? Look at that. Those opportunities are all around us every day. Now, we could easily have looked at all three of those situations and just gone, oh, there's no hope for that person. But the truth is, we're surrounded by people who need to know the love of God. People who have it together and need to know the love of God. People who are broken and destitute that need to know the love of God. And people that have just lived life and it's been hard that need to know the love of God. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would enable and equip each one of us to be the church. Lord, I pray that this week in every person in this room, Father, that you would surround them with opportunities to be bold, to do justice, and to live selflessly for those around them. And that, Father, just as we see in these snapshots, that we would have our own snapshots in our lives where we can remember story after story of people's lives who were changed as we were willing to trust you. Some of us here today, Father, maybe we just need to begin by trusting you ourselves for the first time. Maybe in this discourse, Father, The light bulb has begun to come on like it did with Lydia. Father, where we realize we need a Savior. Maybe there are those here today that need to be set free from things that they just cannot get past. Father, we pray that you would work in their lives and set them free as well. Father, maybe there are people here today that would say, I've seen the selfless love of God and I know I need a Savior. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would work in all of our hearts We thank you that you sent Jesus to be our Lord, to be our Savior, to make us a new creation. In Jesus' name, amen.